Here we are in the middle of the week, in need of refreshing, in need of instruction, in need of blessing, in need of wisdom, in need of the presence of the Lord. So thank you for joining us. We're looking forward to a good study of God's Word that will lead us into the heart and mind of God for our lives and our church congregation. Tonight we have a delightful scripture. It's amazing as to how the Lord as the, how the Lord meets the need of people, how he does his work supernaturally. And uh, we're in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at one of the miracles of Christ. Uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, the Greek word semeon is the word that's always used for miracles. Mm-hmm. And that's the word that means sign. This indicates divine presence, and it proves that the Messiah is present there and doing the work of God. Absolutely amazing as to how the grammar goes through all of this. So so we're going to read tonight, and this fits in, of course, with the lesson. Uh, we're going to read tonight about one of those signs. You look at it, and you know that something very different and very special Something supernatural and something divine is going on. Well, what is the story? Well, follow along, please. We are in John's Gospel, chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii, which is equivalent to a day's wages, two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. For everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Ooh, that's quite a crowd. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks... He distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This truly, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Wow, wow. And it's not a story, it's a historical record by eyewitnesses. Amazing what our Lord Jesus did to meet the need. Suppose he can do that for us. Oh, I suppose he can. 
And the main need that he wanted to meet for them was their salvation as well. As not, their, not just their physical need, but their spiritual need. So the bread wasn't the important thing. Not nearly as important as the, as the end of the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, now we need the story. Yeah, well, let's let's do the... Who is it that we talked about the rest of the story? Who was it used to tell us that? Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. Yeah, we'll Paul try a little bit of that tonight. Uh, before we get started tonight, I do want to remind our men from the church that we'll be having our Man Up Prayer Breakfast on not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. And I've asked a special person to give us a devotional. That person knows who they are, and I will keep that as a secret for you. I want you to come and see who's going to be speaking on that Saturday morning. So far, I think I've had two or three tell me they're coming. I'm hoping that more of you are coming, and if you are, please send me a note or give me a phone call. Somehow get information to me so I know how many of those untouched by human hands sandwiches to order from McDonald's so that we can have a good breakfast and then a good time of prayer and then a little time in the Word of God. I also want to remind our men to sign up, and some of you have already done that. I talked to the people at Wolf Mountain today, and the, the, men, the men's, uh, men's retreat is on par for March 11 to 13. And so far from what I hear, our men are the only ones who have actually officially registered. And uh, so those of you who are still interested in coming with us, it looks like there's going to be plenty of room, and uh, we'll have a good time with just our folks. I think others will come too. But uh, these times of COVID, we never know exactly who's going to show up. So let's go ahead and plan on having a good time. They got 600 acres to run on. Got plenty of space for uh, for social distancing. So I think we can make this happen. Uh, so enjoy that and look forward to coming. I hope that you will register. Go to wolfmountain.org. I think it's 172 dollars, and you can register right there with them online, or you can call up there to Wolf Mountain. I think I've sent you an email about it as well. But that's coming up pretty soon, and so we've got to get ready. Uh, so that we can prepare. All right, now, if you will, turn in your Bibles back to uh, John chapter 6. Uh, we've been talking about Jesus Christ as the pattern of grace and truth. Uh, this is actually two chapters in, in Dean Taylor's book, The Thriving Church, and uh, they focus on how Jesus Christ witnessed to people and how he set the example of how to go about this. Uh, we don't want to be Bible thumpers who beat people over the head. We want to be like Jesus. Because sometimes when we approach people that way, we appear uh, ju judgmental and hateful and, and uh, as though we're holier than thou. And, and that really is very, very hard to be effective as a, as a gospel witness. We need to be like the Lord Jesus, who is gracious always and yet full of truth. That theme tells us that we're supposed to be like him. We've been talking about this all along, how we thrive as a church, how we grow as a church, and that is to be like the Lord Jesus. And we've been looking at those kind of theme verses from Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about attaining to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And what was Christ full of? First, or John chapter 1 verse 14 said he was full of grace and truth. And then verses 16 and 17 go on and say, For his fullness, for of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So if we want to be gracious and we want to be truthful like the Lord Jesus Christ, it's good for us to follow his example. We've looked at two of the examples already, and we'll touch on them again tonight in review. The religious and moral man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a religious but immoral woman in John chapter 4, that Samaritan lady that we talked about last week. But tonight we're going to focus primarily on the third of, the, of this group, a crowd of hungry followers of Jesus. 
in John chapter 6. Later on, we'll look at a woman caught in sin. I kind of hope to get to that, but as I studied, I realized I wasn't going to get through that tonight. And then uh, John 11, a grieving family. John 13, a self-centered disciples. John 20, a skeptical observer. John 21, a failing follower. And John 19, a dying sinner. Now, one more thing I want to say before I get started is uh, I got a note today from one of uh, one of my friends who said, I've been wanting to follow along, but I don't get your notes. And I'm trying to email them out to you so that you can follow along uh, as we go through these things. And so if you're not getting them, would you contact us at online at hamiltonsquare.org and we'll make sure that you get put on the list so that we can send these emails to you wherever you are. I know some are watching from other places, not just here in San Francisco. So uh, we would love to have you uh, get these notes. I hope they'd be helpful to you and, uh, and easier to follow along. Again, now Jesus set the ultimate example of how to witness. And you and I have been left here on this earth to be witnesses for him. He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to make disciples of these people and to, and to baptize them in his name. And so we need to know how to do this. And we, and we want to do it with the same spirit and the same effectiveness that Jesus had. Jesus was always gracious, but he never sugarcoated the truth. He always spoke truth in a way that people who knew that they needed to be born again, that they needed the living water that could provide that 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 satisfaction for the thirst that they have in their souls. Uh, he left us here to fulfill that mission, and uh, I hope that we can do that. I hope that you have a passion and a desire to do so. But last uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the religious and moral man in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, the prominent Pharisee, was a teacher of Israel, and he had been trying very hard all of his life to keep all of those Old Testament laws and the extra laws that the Pharisees had come up with. I think the Pharisees had a total of like 613 laws that they were trying to keep. And Nicodemus knew I was no way I was keeping all of those laws. I wasn't doing well enough. And here he was, the teacher of Israel, one of the most prominent religious people in the land. But Jesus took him to Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, where the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Nicodemus knew that story, and Jesus said, That's exactly how you come to me for salvation. You look and then you can live. I like that hymn. Look and live. Look and live. Come look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in his word, hallelujah. You must always look and live. Now, the, the new birth is given to those who will look to Jesus for salvation. And so we want to constantly be pointing people to Jesus Christ. We want to be gracious, but we need to tell the truth, even to the most religious and moral and respected of people. They all need to hear. Then Jesus, in John chapter 4, spoke to this uh, immoral woman. Uh, she had some religion, but she was an incredibly immoral woman. She'd had five husbands, and now she's living with a man in sin. But Jesus went to see her. Here she was, a half-breed Samaritan, and yet Jesus made a, made a point of going directly to her uh, because he knew uh, what was going to happen when he did. He set her at ease by sitting down at the well and just being a kind human being, just a gentle, kind man. And he had struck up a conversation with her by saying, 
can I have a drink? Please give me a drink in John chapter 4 and verse 7. And no doubt he expressed his gratefulness and his, his gratitude for her kindness. But then he offered her a greater gift. He offered her the gift of living water from John chapter 4 verse 10. Years ago my father wrote a song. There's a fountain flowing free with living water. It is offered now to lost and dying men. Come and drink of full salvation. You will never, never thirst again. Now Jesus didn't stop there. He also continued to, uh, to tell her about this, this uh, need that she had to repent of her sin. And he exposed her for who she was. He was gracious and he was kind. But he let her know that she was a sinner. And uh, that she, uh, she was forced to admit that she had no husband and had been, was now living in sin with another man. Now, she became defensive and she tried to uh, spout off about her religion. You worship there, we worship here. It doesn't really matter who we worship as long as we're worshiping. And uh, Jesus made it very clear that he was the one that could save her from her sins. Then, at the end of that time, Jesus was able to then also stay for two extra days. And because this woman accepted Christ and told other people about him, they, they had a great uh, awakening. Pastor Kelly's been praying for that in our nation. A great awakening there in Samaria. Not a revival, because these were unsaved people who came to Christ. and Their eyes were opened, and, and they were awakened to the truth that they needed the Savior. And John chapter 4, verse 39 says, In Sychar of Samaria there was a great awakening. Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. So thank the Lord for what happened there in Samaria. Jesus went to meet with one woman and a whole town came to, uh, not a whole town, but many of the people in the town came to know the Lord Jesus. So now we're turning to John chapter 6, where Pastor has just read, and to talk about the, a hungry multitude that Jesus approached with the glorious gospel of salvation uh, through the bread of life who came to meet their real, real need. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus accomplishes two things. He tests his disciples, and he teaches them that he is able to supply abundantly above anything that they could do humanly in their own strength, and that if they rely on him, they could do things that were beyond any kind of comprehension that they could have. And then he also taught the multitude that they needed more than physical sustenance. He taught them that they needed spiritual bread. They needed the living bread that can meet that spiritual hunger like nothing else can. Notice he used water in one instance. Now he's using bread. He uses common things to get people's attention and to draw them into the truth. That's a gracious way to get people's attention. But he never backed away from the truth. So in John chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 2, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. There were a lot of people watching, and Jesus was doing some incredible things. By nature, crowds of people flock and they, uh, to, to where they're going to be entertained. And I think some of them probably followed Jesus simply because they wanted to see what he was going to do next. They'd been amazed. He had turned water into wine. He had healed some sick people. 
just today, you know, in our day, we love to be entertained. We we want to watch the latest uh, television program, or we want to see a Broadway play that we haven't seen before. Maybe in if you're a, a little more uh, highfalutin, you might want to go to the opera or the ballet, or you might want to do something like that along that end, the symphony. Uh, but um, another form of of entertainment is is magic. A lot of people like to go to magic shows. Uh, I went to the Hollywood Magic Castle one time with a pastor who on the side was a magician and he did some pretty incredible things and I saw some other things there. People love to be fooled into thinking the impossible has happened but down deep we all know, well no that really didn't happen. He somehow learned a new way to pull a rabbit out of the hat and, uh, and they know they've been tricked but yet they enjoy watching it happen. And I think some people kind of thought maybe that's what Jesus was doing. And yet, there were some who were there because they had seen him heal, and they were saying, we need healing as well. I don't know what all the reasons were for this crowd following the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe most of them were there because they had come to accept him as the Savior. They just were there for the entertainment value, or they were there just to get what they could get out of the time together there with the one who is God, the one who is the Messiah, though they weren't ready to quite accept that. Have you ever attended a special meeting for that kind of purpose? I, I, I've known people who have, they, they don't normally go to church, but if there's a dynamic speaker, there's a, a very charismatic personality who's coming into town. I know one, one time I, I went with a, with a group of people to hear a, a, an evangelist who'd who's now gone to heaven, but he, he had a worldwide reputation. He'd been, uh, been an apologist, and he'd spoken up in, in many places around the world, and then he was coming to a local area, and I had some friends say, let's go see him. And we went, and he did a good job, and it was wonderful, but uh, he was telling the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what made it wonderful. But some people went because they, they just wanted to see this famous individual. They were kind of like, chasing around uh, a celebrity like paparazzi. This is the way I think many people in this crowd were following the Lord Jesus. They went there for the entertainment value. John chapter 6 tells us that about 5,000 men were there. Now I looked up that word and it, and it is, I thought maybe it was 5,000 people, but it says 5,000 men. And we know that there was not just men there. There was at least one lad there who had five loaves and two fishes. And my guess is if, if they had brought one other person, perhaps another a son, perhaps a wife, perhaps a daughter, if they had brought at least one other person with them, there could have been as many as 10,000 people at this, at this uh, meeting. We don't know how many were there, but it was at least 5,000. It could have been more. Try to get an idea in your mind, a picture in your mind about the size of this crowd. I remember speaking about this one time years ago, and I was in a place that had a large auditorium, and I used that, and I kind of turned the lights on for some people. And so I thought, well, how can I relate that to people from San Francisco, people who know our area? And I, I thought, that, well, what's, what do I do? I, find, I went online, and I saw how many seats are at the Davies Symphony Hall, 2,743. Well, that's not 5,000. So let's go across the street. So we went across the street over to the meeting place for the, the ballet. And that's 3,200. Well, that's a little over our 5,000. 
But then, you know, we thought about the, the husbands and the, and our, or the wives and the daughters and the sons who might be there. And I said, well, let's, let's add some more. So we went down to the Memorial Auditorium, in my mind, and, lo and looked at how many were in there. 31, or 3,146, so there's over 9,000 people in those three massive buildings that we see as we drive down Van Ness in San Francisco, right across from City Hall. So that can put a picture in your mind about how many people were there at this time to see the Lord Jesus. And he was teaching them and he was telling them about himself. So Jesus ministered to a very large crowd that day. The multitude was showered with Christ's amazing grace. And uh, I want to show you how he shared the gospel with this crowd using food uh, to, to get their attention. How did he show grace to the multitude? Number one, he was aware of their need. In John chapter 6 and verse 5, uh, Pastor read about it. Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Uh, I was reading, I think, in Dean's book, and he said, Even if they could have the money to do it, where are they going to find that many falafel stands nearby to feed all those people? That's a good way to look at it. Uh, that's a lot of food to have to f come up with. It's a lot of money to come up with to feed all these people. But yet Jesus said, uh, I, I, I know they're hungry. I know they've got to eat. And later on we learned only one little boy was the only one who thought to pack a lunch. I can't imagine all those people and nobody bringing a Snickers bar or something with them. But uh, it was Jesus who mentioned the need. You know, a lot of times we get so busy with our way of life and our pattern of life and the things that we're doing, our work, our families, our friends, our activities, our hobbies, our other things, even our church services, and we get wrapped up in all the things that we are doing and we forget that there's a whole host of people all around us in great need. Jesus never forgets about that. Jesus always is aware of the needs around him. We need to be learn to be alert and pay attention to the fact that there are people around us. You know, back in, in the last lesson, when Jesus was dealing with a Samaritan woman, I, I, I didn't talk about it last week, but the, the disciples had gone to go get food for Jesus, and for their group as well. They'd been traveling together, and Jesus sat at the well and talked to the woman, and the disciples went to get food. And then they come back, and they're surprised. Here Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, and that's just not done. And so they ask him in John chapter 4, why are you talking to her? And Jesus turned to those disciples in John 4, verse 35. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. Jesus was aware that there were people all around him who needed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed the gospel of salvation. And the disciples were so busy buying groceries, they didn't have time to think about that. We need to be aware of that in our own lives. We can be busy about our work, be busy about doing good things, and forget the most important thing and that we have been put in a mission field for the glory of the Lord and for the gospel of Christ. Sometimes we don't want to see the need. It's too big. It's too frightening. We can't imagine how we can ever meet that need. We know we can't do the job in our own strength, and so sometimes I think we just ignore it and say, I, can't, I, I don't know how to do this. I know uh, many times I think about San Francisco and all the people who need the Lord in San Francisco, and I think, who am I? I'm one man. How can I do this? How can our church, just a, a few people in, in the size for, for the size of our city, how can we reach all these people for Christ? 
listen, we're not responsible for the results, but and, and we're not responsible to do what we can't do. But we need to do what we can do. In John chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. And one of his disciples found that lad who had five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these among so many? So Jesus was aware of their need, and the disciples were just starting to grasp it. But then Jesus not only saw the need, he wanted to meet the need. Again, sometimes we see the need and we go, eh, it's not my responsibility, it's not my problem. Knowing our insufficiency to meet the need can cause us to harden our hearts concerning that need. It's easy to look at a city full of people around us and have the attitude, it's not my problem, there's so many of them, so few of us, oh, how, oh, let, don't even try. But Jesus always remained compassionate, he was full of grace. He was full of grace, and he still offered grace that was beyond human resources and the ability to meet the need. He does that today, and we need to walk with him so that we can know what, how he wants us to accomplish the task he's laid before us. In another passage, Jesus called for all people to trust him with every need that we have. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, that day Jesus offered rest to the multitudes. He said to the disciples, have the people sit down in John chapter 6 and verse 10. And he knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to meet that need. He saw the need. He wanted to meet the need. And then he acted to meet that need. Taking the little boy's lunch into his hands, here Jesus Christ, the Creator, took five loaves and two little fishes and distributed that among five to ten thousand people. That's a whole lot of breadcrumbs and fish scales. But Jesus made it enough that it was not only that, he made enough that there were baskets of food left over. John chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus took the loaves and having given thanks... He distributed, that's a good reminder, he gave thanks before he ate. I hope that you remember to do that when you have a meal and that you pray. I think even over dessert it would be all right to pray and thank the Lord for what he's given to you. Jesus took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. He wasn't distributing crumbs and fish scales and eyeballs and all that stuff. He was giving them plenty to eat. The Lord is gracious. I like what Dean Taylor says. Jesus demonstrated one of the most wonderful characteristics of grace. Abundance. Grace is by its very nature generous. Giving of all that he had and all that he could. And it says in verse 12, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Now, this is one time Jesus did this. Another point, another time, and we won't look at it now, but he did this for 4,000 men and others there too. And uh, and I, I think it's interesting sometimes the disciples would say, Lord, we don't have anything to eat. I'm going, how could you forget this after something like this? How could you forget that Jesus can meet your need after something like this? But anyway, the disciples learned of Jesus' Jesus's ability to meet the needs of mankind 
and the crowd began to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Again, they've been following him for different reasons. They've been following him for many and for the wrong reasons. But they were beginning to see this person is somebody quite special. John chapter 6, verse 14, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, again, that's the sign, like Pastor said, of the Messiah being present and God at work. When they saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The miracle of grace. That was an old radio program my church used to put out. Miracles of grace. And you give testimonies of what God had done in people's life. This miracle of grace got these people's attention. And they knew that they were in the company of someone greater than themselves. But they had not yet put their trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. They were just there for the food. Uh, they and many of them were thinking about the time back, in, I was reading in Exodus uh, the, the last few days, where, where the, God provided manna in the wilderness for all the children of Israel. And they were thinking, oh, God's doing this again. He's providing manna. He's providing food for us. And so I think they followed the Lord Jesus Christ for the free food. And they missed out on the spiritual food that they really needed. They saw Jesus as a political savior but not as the one who could save them from their sins. And by the way, today, even in our days, that's what we need more than we need a political savior for sure. Make sure that you're pointing people to Jesus Christ more than you're concerned about the politics of the day. That is far more important to meet the spiritual needs, the needs of man's souls through giving them, sharing the gospel with them. They saw Jesus as a political savior. John chapter 6 verse 15, Jesus perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountains by himself alone. Jesus said, I'm not here to do that. I'm not here for politics. I'm here for souls. I'm here to reach people with the gospel. And he went off, and I don't know if he went to pray, I don't know if he went to rest, I don't know if he went to recharge, I don't know if he went to talk to his Father, Heavenly God the Father. All I know is he left the crowd, and somehow they got away. he got away from them. Perhaps the crowd was so stuffed with the food that they had. They had so much left over, 12 baskets full from two fish and five little barley loaves. And all this food left over, and Jesus had given them all they wanted. And there they were, stuffed, full of food. You ever fall asleep after a good meal? I know Sunday afternoon is the hardest time in the world for me to stay awake after a good meal, a good lunch and mingle or whatever we've done. Uh, but here, we don't know exactly how it happened, but somehow Jesus pulled away from the crowd. They went to sleep. The disciples got in a boat and they headed across the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, which is kind of like a large lake there in northern Israel. And they crossed the Sea of Galilee to a place called Capernaum. Now, as they, this is, this is a side issue from the, the, the main thing that we're talking about. They, they were crossing the sea, and this is where Jesus was up in the mountains. The disciples were on the boat. In the middle of the night, a storm hit them as they were crossing the sea, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And you know the story. Peter tried to get on. All this, this all happened here around this time. And then Jesus got in the boat, and they ended up on the other side of the sea. Well, the next morning, all these people woke up, and they realized that Jesus is gone. Our food is gone. The guy who provides our food is gone. Those disciples are gone. That boat that they had, that was the only one there at the side by the time the Scripture tells us. It was the only boat there at that, at that side of the lake at the time. But it was gone. 
But the next morning, some other fishermen or some other people somehow had came in boats, and those those people got in those boats and went back across to chase Jesus across the sea. I, again, I think a lot like paparazzi chasing a celebrity to get a get a picture. They just wanted to be around a guy who could do some things like this. John chapter 6, verse 25 says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? But Jesus had been gracious to them. He'd fed them. He'd, he'd spoken kind words to them. Uh, he'd, been, he'd, been, he'd provided a miracle for them. But now he says, it's time for me to not only be gracious, it's time for me to be truthful. How did Jesus speak truth to the multitude? Jesus was full of grace, but he always got to the point about the gospel. Jesus exposed the true motivation of their hearts in John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs or because you saw God at work, as Pastor was saying about that word, signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You just want, you just came here for the, for the free lunch. I like what Dean Taylor says, this, says here too. And it is something that we should consider. Uh, sometimes giving a person food is the nicest, most gracious thing you can do. We all have neighbors and they get hungry whether during a time of sickness, grief, or another trial, or just because a neighborly knock on the door with a plate piled with cookies or a pot brimming with soup in hand is an act of grace. Church lunches and after-service fellowships are a perfect opportunity to invite newcomers and first-time guests to grab a plate and sit at the table. Inviting young singles to your home for pizza and games or a few couples for a cookout goes a long way in opening channels of friendship. And influence. I hope that you can use your homes or whatever whatever gift you have, a, a common area that you know to go take people to a restaurant. But, but I hope that you'll be able to use this to, to open doors and to build relationships with people. But don't stop there. There's nothing inherently wrong with meeting the physical needs of people. Christians have been meeting the needs of people for centuries. They've established hospitals. They have established uh, leper colonies. They have established rescue missions, food banks, orphanages. They have drilled wells in places where there was no water. They have done all sorts of things, short-term missions. They've done long-term missionaries. Some of our missionaries have spent their entire lives on the field trying to reach people. And they do it a lot by building relationships around a kitchen table. But they don't stop there. I'm thankful for things like Franklin Graham's Samaritan Purse that just recently we saw during the COVID crisis. But that's not enough. We have to make sure that beyond the social gospel of, of meeting people's physical needs, that we make sure we tell them the truth about the destination of their soul without Jesus Christ and the way to escape hell and the way to get to heaven. As good as those deeds are without the gospel, all they do is delay the inevitable. We may get the attention of the needy, but unless we meet the spiritual needs, all we have done is kept them out of hell for a little bit longer, but if we don't tell them the gospel, we won't be able to keep them out permanently. We've got to get the gospel to people. Temporary relief from physical suffering and need does not meet the deeper spiritual needs of souls. It is good to feed the hungry, but it's better to preach the gospel. So Jesus exposed the true motivation of their hearts. You're here for the food. You need something more. Jesus challenged them with the true need of their heart. In John chapter 6 and verse 27, Do not work for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Like Nicodemus, like the religious immoral Samaritan woman, these people wanted to work their way into favor with God. They were hoping to do what religious people do. They were trying good works. They considered themselves to be good people. And that's the way most people are. They're satisfied with religion, but they don't know the Savior. Jesus graciously told them the truth. Good works don't work. Nice people still go to hell. The only answer to the true dilemma of the hearts of a human being is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to them in John chapter 6 and verse 35 to verse 37. Let's look there. He said, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I like this. Jesus never backed away from the truth. He was gracious. He was kind. But he held his ground when it came to the truth. The truth of the gospel is not a popular message. I'm guessing that it's not going to become any more popular than it was then. It's sad to say that even in the presence of the Lord himself, men scoffed at him and rejected the message that he preached. In John chapter 6 and verse 41, it says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread of life uh, that came down from out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, Now I have come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Many times when we share the gospel with people, we're going to get that negative response. They're going to reject us. They're going to say, I don't want to hear it. They are trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their good works. They just want to ignore the fact of an eternity with a heaven and a hell. But they are just as real as the chair you're sitting in today and the TV screen or the computer screen that you're looking at. We need to make sure that people know the gospel in spite of the response that we get from them. In John chapter 15, later on, Jesus said this to his disciples, If the world hates you, in verse 18 to 20, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But like Jesus, in spite of persecution, in spite of a negative response, we still need to be true to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We still need to tell them the truth. It is the only loving thing to do. I was talking with a friend the other day, and we were discussing this, and I said, you know, if you went to the doctor, and the doctor examined you, and the doctor did a battery of tests, and he knew that you had cancer, but he didn't want to hurt your feelings. He didn't want to make you feel bad. He didn't want to make you cry. And so he wouldn't tell you. Is he a good doctor? 
No, he's not a good doctor. And if you know the truth about a lost person's soul and you don't tell them, you are not a good Christian. You need to be the kind of Christian who's loving and bold with the truth. If we know, know the truth, the loving thing is to tell the truth. Jesus was gracious as he stood his ground, but he made it clear that unless God has turned the lights on in a lost person's heart, they will not come to understand and accept the truth. In John chapter 6 and verse 43, Jesus answered and said unto them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent, him, sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who's come from God. He has seen the Father. No. So there has to be something that happens inside the hearts of people. We share the truth. God stirs the heart. We have to tell them the truth and let God use his word. God has said, my word will not return void, but it will accomplish its purpose. And so we need to be faithful to tell the truth. Jesus set the example of proclaiming truth even to some who he knew who would not accept the truth. John chapter 6 verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread of life himself proclaimed that he had come to meet a spiritual need that no amount of barley loaves and fish could meet. That no 12 baskets of leftovers could meet. They needed the eternal bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. And he said he had come, and he had come to give of his flesh. Jesus knew what he was talking about. They weren't quite sure. But he was talking about the fact that he was going to go to a cross, and he was going to die for the sins of the world, and that those who put their trust in him could be saved. And it's still true today. I hope that you are being faithful to share the gospel when Jesus left the multitude, in conclusion, he, he went to the synagogue to further proclaim this truth and to explain things a little further to those who still were following him and still trying to figure out. They were trying to become his disciples so that they didn't understand, but Jesus was teaching more. But his, the more he taught about this thing of dying, the more he taught about going to the cross, the more he taught about what was going to come, John chapter 14, verse 66 says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. The truth sometimes does turn people away. We are not responsible for that. They make a choice to reject Jesus Christ. But our blood, their blood is on our hands if we do not speak up for the Lord. Thankfully, some were like Peter who believed the truth of Christ's message when he challenged them regarding their faith. John chapter 4, verses 67 to 69, Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know 
that you are the Holy One of God. Not everybody you witness to is going to accept Christ. In fact, it's probable that most of them won't. But thank the Lord for those who do. And be faithful to share the gospel so those who are searching and are really honest in their hearts and those who the Lord is stirring their hearts to bring them to salvation will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this grand debate about, about whether it's free will or if it's all of God's grace. It really doesn't matter. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel and let him do the saving. Someone said, I'll do the fishing and Jesus does the cleaning. That's the way we go about this thing. We tell the gospel in grace and love to everyone who will hear. Will you lovingly follow the Lord Jesus Christ in this great mission? Will you accept him as your Lord and Savior if you don't know him? Or will you be like the crowd that rejected him? Those of us who do know the Lord Jesus Christ have a responsibility to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth, loving the lost and sharing the truth with them. What we need to be like is like the Lord Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14, we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace we've been saved. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. It's not religion. It's a relationship with the Savior of the world, the bread of life. I hope you have it, and I hope that you're telling other people of it. Father, we pray that you will use these words, this passage of Scripture that we've looked at, these thoughts about who Jesus is and how we are to share the gospel with others, to be effective, to challenge us as believers to be more effective in our witness. And Lord, if there are some who are watching and they're not, they don't know you as their Savior, I pray that you will stir their hearts, make them tender to the truth that you are the Savior of the world, and help them to give their hearts to you tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.